Welcome to the Texans! And again, Watson escapes. Over the middle, it's cut. Akins and the tight end rumbles in for the touchdown. Here's Watson now. Blockers in front. Lowers the shoulder and in. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. This week we are looking at some of the what-ifs back in recent Texans history. If we could look at some potential turning points in the Deshaun Watson era. We're talking Texans straight from the Great British Isles. You can follow us at podcasttexans.com um, and we'll be we'll be putting out some more articles this off-season. Uh, but joined this week... And uh, actually, I think, Mike, I'm due you an apology from the last time, um, his second appearance. Um, Mike, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good, mate. How are you? Good, yeah. And I didn't ask you, um, which I'll do in a sec before I bring in Luke. Um, I forgot to ask you something, which I'll ask both you guys this week. Luke is joining us for the first time. How are you doing, Luke? Yeah, very well. Thank you for you, uh, having me on. Can't wait to get talking all things Houston Texans. Excellent. Um, so, yeah, Mike, I didn't ask you last time when we were on. Uh, what is, or how did you? What's your Texans story? How did you? How does a guy from Stafford get supporting a team from Houston, Texas? And also, <laughs> right. uh, and also, a, what is your uh, turn up for what? So one of these moments. I think I've had a couple. One was a flight home from Denver after um, the the Brock Osweiler uh, f- uh, spiral fumble. So if you've got any of those moments as well, that'd be great. Uh, so it's a, it's a bit of a long story. Um, so I've worked a couple of jobs uh, that I've had. I've involved going over to the US and working in various different places. Um, but the first the first city that I flew to, the first place that I worked was Houston. Um, and, it, you know, I'd, I'd been working with a lot of Americans up to that point. Um, but, but Houston was was the first place I actually went and actually stayed. Um, and, and everyone was so friendly. Um the barbecues, uh, the nights out—it was—it was really good. Um, and up to that point, I'd actually been um, kind of into the NFL from back in the sort of 90s when they had a real big sort of push over in the UK. Um, and I guess, like lots of other people, I was kind of a Raiders fan, but not really. It was a kind of an armchair thing. Um, and and working with lots of Americans, most of them were sort of uh, Pats fans. Quite a lot of them were Pats fans. And, I, and there was always like a sweepstake and there was always stuff going on. And I was kind of half into it, but not really a massive Raiders fan. Um, but, but going over to, to sort of uh, Texas, it was around sort of 2016. And I just got really into it. And I just got really into these. These guys were sort of really enthusiastic. And, and I just liked it. I really liked it there. So uh, that was when I sort of switched my uh, my affiliations to the Texans. Um, and it's kind of stuck. So, um, you know, I changed jobs since then. I haven't actually been back to Houston for a couple of years. I was planning to go back this year, actually, and try and catch a game there. But that all went out the window, obviously. Um, but but I still sort of work with lots of Americans. I've been, you know, lots of lots of other states. And uh, I'm kind of proud now, you know, wherever I go, sort of L.A., um, I sort of go to New England quite a bit as well. So I still still unfortunately come across lots of Pats fans. And uh, it's it's kind of a point of pride now that I'm a Texans fan. So that's kind of how I got into it and uh, and how it sort of stuck. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, you know, absolutely loved Houston. One of the, you know, it's, it's one of the friendliest places I've been to in the US, absolutely. Yeah, excellent. I think, I think that's right. I think that's a big part for me as well. It's never really been the, the football uh, or the quality of it. It's been more about the experience and the people and... Uh, 
and they sort of they treat you as one of your, their own. I think, and that's that's definitely for for me. And have you got a turn up for what moment? The one that you felt what have I, what am I doing? Uh, I think. Do you know what? I, I th- there's been a few. Um, there's been a few. I mean, I think uh, I think when Watson got got injured, um, that that was one of the ones where we sort of didn't really didn't really sort of recover from that. So um, you know. The season was going well, you know, he it was it was going it was going pretty good. Then Tom Savage came back in, and and we just you know that that rest of that season was kind of a write off. I'm not saying it was wasn't Tom Savage's problem, but you know that that was you know we lost the Colts, we lost the Rams, I think we beat the Cardinals, and then you know we lost every single game after that. And I think that 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 whole season felt like that to me. Um, and I was you know at that point still a fairly fresh uh, Texans fan, so. It felt like my sort of baptism of fire, you know. Um, yeah, I remember that that day. Uh, actually, Luke will bring you in a second, mate. I'll leave you hanging. But um, that day, literally, just walked out the stadium, uh, doing a tour. Yeah. Um, got back into the truck, and uh, everybody's phone starts ringing. Um, and actually, um, when we were doing the tour, um, I saw one of the. Um, I forgot the guy's name now, but I saw one of the. I'll come back to me. Um, one of the coaches was having like a really sort of intense sort of discussion with somebody in the hallway, and I never really thought about it any time. Just thought, oh, well, this is you know, it's great to be see but see behind the scenes, and uh, yeah, it was. Then I found out what he was discussing was the fact that Deshaun had torn his ACL. Now I think a lot of people think he maybe tore it in this Seattle game or part tore it um, and he uh, and he went out but that was it yeah and that, that was a big big shock and I remember we, so we drove back up to the hotel where we were staying um, in downtown Houston and and I think they get, it was about three other guys and I think one of them said I don't think I didn't speak I think for about two hours literally just didn't say a word I just couldn't and then just sort of sat in and then we were out that night and it was all over every TV channel non-stop and every bar you were in it was just yeah that was that's a low moment I think but um, hopefully somewhere on the horizon but Luke sorry leave you hanging there mate digressing a bit is, is the story what's your what's your Texan story how does how, how does uh, how does a fellow Brit get involved in a, a team like this um, it's this kind of two kind of standpoints one from a sporting and non-sporting uh just quickly the non-sporting one it was kind of my obsession growing up was space you know planets everything so it kind of made sense that houston space city is like i, I need to have some sort of affiliation with this city so uh so my first sort of sporting love was was uh football as in uh, soccer football and um that's when i made uh, houston dynamo from uh, the mls they were sort of my team they enjoyed enjoyed some uh some good success in sort of the early sort of noughties. Um, I never sort of, sort of expanded my sporting scope and I thought I've got to keep in Houston, you know, I've got to support the, uh, the Dynamo. So let's get behind the Texans. So, and then my first season was just, uh, when we just came off the, um, 214 record in 2013. So 2014 season was my first sort of full season following the teams. So I thought that was quite an exciting t- time to, Get behind a team. We've got first overall pick. Obviously, yeah, Clowney comes into the building, and it sort of just sort of blossomed from there. Really, sort of um, 
sort of then from 2015 it just sort of grew more and more that's uh, when the Texans featured on the um, HBO Hard Knocks series and you got to see a lot more sort of behind the scenes of the team really you got to see a bit more you know, what Bill O'Brien is all about but it was also, also um, seeing stories like uh, David uh, Questenberry um, how he is his recovery from cancer which is just such a incredible story and my eyes and just kind of from that point on it just really hit home it's like yeah this is my this is my team this is what I'm going to follow through thick and thin um, and the first the first one that I picked out if we go back to that weekend in Seattle um, I remember walking into the, the, the stadium that day in, in Seattle and it was just an unbelievable experience the crowd noise was phenomenal and uh, for the first time that for the first time that season Dwayne Brown's back out there being, he's held out for seven games Um he comes back in in a epic forty-one to thirty-eight loss in Seattle, um, and uh, he was thirty-two at the time doing multiple Pro Bowls. Held out. Rick Smith was quite clear at the time: this is not a holdout. He's still got two years left on his deal now. Dwayne Brown. Some people might forget he had a day named after him by the mayor of Houston for all the stuff he'd done in the community. Uh, but it looked like he was desperate to get out and then there was all the comments from Bob and everything and you've seen how the franchise have definitely tried to change that in the last couple of weeks with some of the, the conversations and stuff with Cal and Janice and his wife and I think that you know they've tried to change that and I, and, and I know somebody that was very close uh, to Bob and worked for the family and you know those comments were not you know in any way representative of his views it was some I think it was a misplaced phrase and it got you know it it got accelerated into the media as it's, it's got a way to do into something it probably wasn't. But then Dwayne used that as an out as well. Um, and the players, you know, referenced that through Dwayne. I think it was one of these things where a comment just, you know, within the context of everything that's going on, just spiralled. Um, and um, and then he was traded the, the day after. So, you know, it was a great loss. We go to three and four. If, I, if you can have a great loss, we go to three and four. Um Originally, Jeremy Lane's meant to come over uh, from Seattle at corner. He fails a physical. Um, the Texans reportedly try to include Jimmy Graham in a trade. Couldn't get that agreed. Um, but then Houston receive a second rounder in 2019, a third rounder in 2018. Dwayne Brown goes over to Seattle uh, to fill their left tackle spot. Houston left without Breno, Giacomini and Chris Clark as their two bookends. At that point, it didn't seem like it mattered. Um but what sort of, if you think of all the things without you know diving too far ahead, but particularly the, the moves the team have made at tackle, if this team still keeps Dwayne Brown and extends him like he asked, he might he might only play another couple of years, up to 35, 36. It's not unusual for tackles, but he goes over, plays 10 games that season, 16 the season after, and then he misses some games with injury. Now, there was rumours of um, being... Uh, Caught for PEDs, he did, he was banned for four games early in his career with the Texans. He tore his quad at the end of 2016, an injury that I think he said in an interview with they cited as potentially that. And he also was very very close to missing the start of or a substantial amount of games, but got off from a receipt from his holiday in Mexico um, for the contaminated meat. So that all being said, where do you think this franchise is if it still had Dwayne Brown, and what would that have changed? So I think for me. Um... He's obviously fitting well with Seahawks. Uh, he's got a, got a good record there. Um, would would his record with the Texans have been as good? Um, I know there obviously there were the issues with O'Brien, but you know un- underlying that is the fact that 
he, he you know, I, th- I think, and you, you probably know more about this than me, but he played some games, or he played, I don't mean games as in football games, but he played some games around that contract extension um, before it got a bit out of hand. Um, and, and Bill O'Brien, he doesn't like that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, knowing what we know about Bob, anyone that challenges his authority or plays games in the locker room, they, they've got a sort of fairly limited time. Um, and, and the fact that he's done so well with the Seahawks, he seems to have kept his head down. You know, has, has he actually sort of, has he fitted in better there or has he learned the lesson from, from, from his, his last few sort of, uh, months at the Texans and, and how it all sort of exploded there? Has it actually made him a better player? Has it made him a better team player? Um, I, I think possibly if he'd stayed at the Texans, he, he wouldn't be as good a player as he is. Maybe he wouldn't have, he still wouldn't have fitted in. Um, so I think that there's, there's maybe the question about, you know, how, how well he gelled with the team. And I, th- I think maybe he gels with the Seahawks better than he did with the Texans. I think he's come out and said subsequently that, you know, he had no issue with O'Brien. It was just down to guaranteed money. Now, I think a big part of it was his wife uh, was a radio host in Houston. She moved out to the West Coast. I think part of it, he wanted to be out that way. So I think that played into it. Um, but Luke, I think t- thinking of, of the of that's the third rounder, um, which they took from that. So if you take it two ways, how's this team if Dwayne Brown's still playing at a reasonably, you know, Pro Bowl upper upper end level tackle with Watson under centre, or instead of taking Martinez Rankin with the eightieth overall pick as part of that trade, four picks later, Orlando Brown um is picked in and has been a stalwart for for uh, for Baltimore at right tackle, despite having a terrible combine, but you know I think it was clear he was a good player. His dad was a, a long time tackle in the NFL. So of those two sort of sliding door moments, how can you see it have played out better? Yeah, for, for me it's like this sort of a huge sort of domino effect came into place. So if uh, Brown was extended, does the the mega trade for Larry Tunsil ever happen? Uh, sorry, if Tunsil stays with uh, in Miami, Brown stays with. Uh, Houston, obviously DeAndre Hopkins stays with us, so you kind of look at that as a real sort of changing point. If, as you say, if he touched on with uh, with Orlando Brown, the fact that Brown didn't extend, uh, we did acquire this extra third round pick with uh, Martinez Rankin, who is no longer on the team. He, obviously, he was traded to uh, Kansas to acquire uh, Carlos Hyde. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, missing out on Orlando Brown's. Obviously, as you touched on, he did have as was described by Mike Mayock at the time, uh, Orlando Brown's historically bad uh, combine performance. Uh, he posted the slowest of any prospect, uh, 40-yard dash time, finished last in the uh, bench press, the vertical jump, and the broad jump among all offensive linemen. So, yeah, to say he had a, a bad combine was you know, just understated. So... And of course, he has gone on to be an absolute mainstay in the, in the Baltimore offensive line. He was named as an alternate for the 2020 Pro Bowl. So, you know, Orlando Brown would have been a great addition to uh, the offensive line. I mean, we know the issues we've had over the, the previous years, um, some sort of question mark along that offensive line. I think the, the season just gone was kind of the, the, the best we saw, really, sort of. Um, Sort of the, the drafting of Titus Howard at the time, we, you know, we really saw question marks about that. Obviously, um, Andre Dillard was still there on the board, so 
So it's a real question of could we have um, picked Dillard if the Eagles didn't trade one spot and we could have missed out on Titus Howard. I think that's another great point to really delve into as well. But I think, you know, and I think it's rumoured that that was a big reason why Rick Smith lost his job with the team because, or, you know, I know there was a lot of stuff going on with his wife and fortunately she then sadly passed away after. But I remember an interview after and he said, you know, he was outside the cancer unit, you know, consummating this trade. So to get Brown out. So I don't know how necessarily if he had his time again, would would it, would it have would have, would he have changed that? Because I think you know, and we'll come on other players, but he was central talent pieces like that. You can't walk out your building, particularly when you've just found a quarter a quarterback. Um, so to see Brown go was, I think, was a big error from this team because you can see the ripple effects and and uh, and and how that and how that then has come on to you know the the Tunsil trade and. And you think, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, if you take, Mike, if you take Orlando Brown at that pick, all of a sudden you've got your right tackle spot set. Okay, you're maybe dealing out with Chris Clark until that, or Julian Davenport until last year. And then, you know, do the Texans, you know, not get jumped by Philadelphia in the 2019 draft? And, and, and then you only need one, either Howard Dillard or somebody else to um, to then fill a line without making all these big moves. It, I, I don't. I don't think. I'm looking at. You know, Luke was talking about the sort of um, the wave effect of, of the trades and things that have happened as a result, and the things that we might have missed out on. Um, would we? Would we be in a worse or better situation? Twelve months later, two years later, I, I don't. I don't think it would have made a huge amount of difference. I really don't. Um, it's. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not one that I look at. It's not one that I look back on and think that that was a massive, massive loss. It really, do, it really doesn't. At the time, it, it was one that raised an eyebrow. But uh, you know, maybe it, 12 months from now, I'll be look, looking back on, let's say, the, the Hopkins trade and going, "What were we thinking?" Uh, but this isn't one that this isn't one that haunts me. It really isn't. I'm 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 of a slightly different opinion. I think, Mike, in terms of that, because you're only as good as the guy next to you, and doing those sax track articles that I put out, I, I didn't quite appreciate the level of play next to you um, and how much that yeah. means. Uh, because you saw when just when Titus Hubbard went out last year, the, the line fell, not to you know revise on previous pods, but the, it, it fell so badly with Rod Johnson and Chris Clark at right tackle just because it, it just knocks the whole thing out of kilter. So, yeah, I, look, I don't think it would have been the difference between us winning a Super Bowl or not that season, but I think that brings us on to our next point of, in 2017, the amount of injuries this team sustained yeah. were substantial, yeah. right? There was a s unbelievable amount of injuries. Um, you know, and I think an underrated one was CJ Fedorowicz. He's just signed a three-year, a three 22 million deal with the team after having a breakout year with... with uh, Osweiler under centre all beat and he only looked to his tight ends of the vast majority of the time but look he was a great inline blocker exactly what the Darren Fells role was last season and was so successful for us you then have week 6 when Watson's starting to break out and actually you could argue you know if Brown's there or not that season it didn't really matter because you know Watson was going to win his fair share of games um, week 6 both Merciless and Watt go out Donta Foreman goes out later in the year has a breakout injury Um it's Hurricane Harvey's just been um, 
we've got Vrabel who you know probably if, if the Texans in 2020 have got an advantage in the division it's because Vrabel's calling a defence in Tennessee one thing he just couldn't do the, the season ended up 4-12 and 12, but then we watched Jacksonville go to the AFC Championship Tennessee go to KC and win we'd nearly beat New England in New England and if it had been for Watson just finding Steven Anderson at a really key time in the end zone we probably, you know, we probably fancy our chances against New England as well. They all, they ultimately go all the way to the Super Bowl, beaten from, um, by Philadelphia, obviously the Philly special in Minnesota. But if all those players had stayed healthy, Fedorowicz right through to, uh, right through through to Watt and Merciless when they were at their prime, not not the dollars we're paying them now for less than that. How far do you think this team could have gone when you see Jacksonville all the way to the AFC Championship? I would say we. 2017 could have been our year. It really could. We we could have we'd have, I I think we could have made the Super Bowl honestly. Um, but it all it all showed just how fragile uh, the team can be. You know, you start getting those key injuries, and you you don't have the sort of strength in depth in in positions like quarterback. It, it just all falls apart, and uh, you know, it could happen to any team, I guess. But um, yeah, it, it was it was not good. But I think you know. I think we could have made it to right, right to the end. I really do, and it's it's been a sort of uh, it's one of those again. That's like I said, that's, that was my season of, of ultimate disappointment. Um, I, I honestly think we, we went into that. You know, sure Watson was 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 green, but man, he was so so up for it, so up for it, and and the feeling of of um, just real sort of hope and and expectation amongst the fans was was really high, you know, really high. So to see it all go sort of uh, so badly wrong with all those injuries uh, that really affected the whole team. I mean, the team that finished the season was not the team that started the season, was it really? Yeah, it was a, a record number of injuries, I think, from, from uh, I think it went through something like 80-odd players by yeah. the end of the season. It just got, it got out of hand. And actually, that was... But what I think probably an underlying story with that was, and if you think of the strength of the team and Watson playing was, that was when you had Hopkins yeah. and Fuller yeah. playing every yeah. game. Yeah. And then you got, and then you got. I, I don't know how many times. Um, I don't know how many times that uh, Watson, you know, would have got sacked in that season. <laughs> but but you know, two thousand eighteen, he got sacked like to death. Um, but if he if he played the whole if he played the whole season there with a the full team and everybody you know that that line all set up and I guess now I'm going back and looking at Dwayne Brown and thinking maybe you're right maybe it would have made a big difference um, I don't know it's it's a it's a it's one where you think about it in too much detail it makes you feel a bit like ah that that was even worse than a, than than a, than I remember it but um, you know what I say we 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 lost I think after after uh, Deshaun went out I think we did we win one game and then lost every single other game um we beat the Cardinals I think it was and then that was it everything else yeah, we yeah. lost um and yeah and that was the game that Donna Foreman yeah. got injured but I think when you when you look at the Jacksonville route to the to the AFC championship and then it's kind of you know it's a toss up at that point but Luke, I don't know what you think because you you saw you saw Buffalo go for the first time ever. You know, it felt like anyway in the playoffs to go and take on, um, to go to to go and take on Jacksonville. Jacksonville played terribly. Bortles all of a sudden came into life in a shootout in Pittsburgh, um, and they, and they, and they got by, um, and then you know with a couple of refereeing decisions going their way, they probably should have really beat New England that day. 
Yeah, I sort of found myself watching back the um, the 2017-18 playoffs recently, and yeah, just watching that uh, Buffalo at Jacksonville game was just I think 10-3. Jags one edge thinking, oh, like if, if we were playing in that game, we would have easily dispatched them if we had, you know, Watson, uh, if Watson stayed healthy, we'd have been at Steelers, wouldn't we, in the um, divisional round. Uh, definitely going to give them a run for their money, I believe. So, I think, yeah, 2017, along with probably on the part with 2018, it's just so many what-ifs, just so many different points we could look at. You know, you sort of, obviously, we were Three and four at the time. Watson gets hurt. Jack's going to win a division with a ten and six record. We could have easily racked up ten wins and you know could have gone far in the in the postseason, which is something just doesn't really happen with rookie quarterbacks. No matter yeah. how good they are, you, you don't you don't really see that that often. So, and then obviously the, the loss of Foreman as well. He has that one breakout game, and then you know tears his Achilles, and that is just a horrible injury to get back from for any position but especially a running back and then you you kind of you know really you have seen it play out he, he was uh, let go by Texans for you know sort of question marks over that was it playing and non-playing reasons but obviously for that season alone he was a huge loss so it was yeah such a series of such unfortunate um, injuries and so on that so, yeah, very much as what 2018 or the, uh, 2017 beg your pardon, all the potential what ifs, you know. I think there's a lot more question marks around that. If you sort of fast forward to next year, 2018, where we um, get so close to getting the, the bye in, in the playoffs, if it wasn't for that loss against the Philadelphia Eagles, I think that was the real turning point. If they didn't kick that field goal to defeat us, then I think it's well within the realm to think we would have gone 12 and 4 which would have given us a number two seed so it's just yeah 2017 2018 are those two real big years you think oh so much was possible but for xyz it just didn't happen yeah i think for that season as well i mean look just to stay in 2017 for a second i think the the defense was under Vrabel was not good enough to 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 probably take you all the way, that's for sure. But it could have been one hell of a ride, I think. And if, if you've got Dwayne at, at right, at left tackle, or or whoever, at, at the, uh, you know, under, you know, across the start and five, I don't think it would really, have really mattered. I think it just feels like Watson was stripped of a a rookie MVP that he should have had, um, and it kind of stunted his momentum. I think in in many ways, and he's never quite truly got back to that and I think part of it was the way they played that you know that in that spell was unsustainable you've seen that you know Kaepernick was in a you know to be topical but he you know he took the, the, the 49ers to a Super Bowl playing you know similar way you know Robert Griffin uh, you know the third wins you know offensive rookie of the year playing a similar similar way and it's not always sustainable but I think Watson showed one he's far better than both those guys and um, so had longevity in the league as long as he continues to learn but it was also just just the, the fact that it just felt like for the first time we were good to watch um, on an, on the offensive side and it just killed so much momentum for that team um, and I think part of it though up front is and we've, we've sort of found that last year 
in 2019 with. You can't, you know, expect anything of your corners if you've got no pass rush. But what, you know, if I think of the New England game where where uh, Merciless hits Brady, the ball comes out and Clowney runs it in, and all of a sudden, for the first time, we saw the three-headed monster that we'd always been promised finally started playing together and then again it got injured it never quite happened with those three guys on the field and we'll probably come on to that on one of our final points um but if we take the start of the 2018 season if we sort of a bit of take a chronological route through this buzz cooks flies out to the green briar in west virginia where the texans are having their training camp he rejects chris olsen's 18.4 million apy believed to be a five million uh, a five-year deal. Jadavian uh, Clowney doesn't take it. Um, and I think if he does take it, where would this defence be now? Because I think, and that's why the, the Texans felt they made him a good offer. And this is a bit topical. I think there was some reports out there this week that JJ maybe threw his weight around. I don't understand how anybody can be shocked by that if you know like the the true guy rather than the... You know, the sort of Captain America uh, facade that people like to put on him. Mean, there's obviously like a a strong, feisty competitor there, as you see on the field, but that must translate off in some ways. Um, and, you know, where does that leave this defence? Merciless doesn't get that deal at the end of the season, which, you know, looking at, into 2021, he's got 15 million guaranteed. Does then what a part of, part of that report does then what ask for a raise? Um, I don't know, but I think if you look at the one game that Clowney had at the start of the season when he goes up against Quinton Nelson, um, and we'll come on to that game as well, but he absolutely throws him around, best player on the field, so disruptive. Um, you know, if we've still, you know, and I, I know they've they tagged him and everything, but if he takes that deal, I think that changes a lot for this franchise also. Yeah, so um, I think losing losing Clowney was um, was a problem. I, I really do. Um, his his statistics are brilliant, um, and the impact that he makes is is brilliant. And I, I, I guess um, you know he's still available. <laughs> he's he's never coming back, but um, you know he's he's a he's a definite firm fan favourite. So you look at all of the. Uh, the social media itself, I mentioned before, I, I like to dip into the into the Reddit because um, you know it's always it's always fun, and uh, you know there's still a whole bunch of people holding out for for Clowney that you know the the dream is to get him back. Um, it is it, definitely it's definitely. Um, I, I think there was more to to him leaving than that as well. I think um, I don't know whether there was stuff going on behind the scenes, but um, you know, I think the pay situation. You look at the pay cap. I think the pay cap would would be an issue if if we'd hung on to him. Um, I think we we maybe would have been looking. I mean, there was talk of, you know, the benefits of the pay cap of of, of letting um, Hopkins go. Um, I think that 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 was a big um, a, a big input into Clowney going to. I mean, I don't know what you think about that. Is that you know. It, it, it allows it allows Bob some flexibility to go out and 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 look at other options. I don't know what you think, Luke, but I think at that point for me we had I think the third or fourth most salary cap in the league. Yeah. We've got a quarterback under yeah. center who is on a rookie deal. You've got a number of players on a rookie deal. Okay, you've got issues on your line. Um, they didn't really, you know, spend the money that year. Um, 
the biggest one probably being Trent Brown not being signed. They gave him a sort of offer that was nowhere near what he signed in Oakland. But um, I don't know. Where do you think that leaves us? Look, if Clowney takes that deal, um, isn't advised by his agent to reject it. One, he's personally better off, yeah. that's no doubt. But where do you think it leaves us? Yeah, for sure. He was a, a huge loss. It'd be great to have on the team right now. Like I've, I've always loved describing Clowney as a disruptor. Uh, there's, there's always talk about, oh, is he a defensive end? Is he, is he a linebacker? But I think like he, he just, almost what like Taysom Hill does with quarterback, he just kind of, he just sort of makes his own position. He just seems to appear, you know, anywhere on the field and more often than not in, in the quarterback's face. So, you know, he'd been, you know, it's just the absolute dream. If we could have Clowney, what, merciless, that three-pronged attack playing every game, then this would be, a top five defensive unit across the league, not to mention um, Zach Cunningham and uh, McKinney as well. Great guys. So for sure, you know, he, he's a huge loss. Um, I say potential cap room issues, but you say we had a lot of scope for you know, structuring deals. Um, obviously, of course, there was look, there was known at the time. Obviously, the mega deal that would have to be given to Tunsil. Uh, Perhaps one eye on Watson's extension. So, but you sort of see it time and time again. Sort of teams up and down the league, they kind of come up with crafty ways of making sure they stay within the cap room. So, I don't think that was necessarily an issue in terms of cap. But if you if you had to choose, if say let's say it was between Watt and Clowney, who who would you actually prefer to keep? Oh, it would be Watt. Just could for the fact that it's not just. I think that's more because of playing and non-playing yeah. um, capabilities. So you just know, you know, what is the the voice in the locker room? He, you know, is, um, touch on he, this is the sort of Captain American America persona that it's the marketer's dream, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, long term for me, who would I rather have on this team? The answer is Jadavian Clowney. Yeah, I would agree. I would. And I use the Captain America and with a bit of tongue in cheek because I, f- I find them I find what at times insincere. Um, I think he's his own look. He's earned it, right? He's earned that right to do what he wants. But the biggest the biggest failing of those three guys up front that we talked about never playing together. I mean, who would you want? Whitney Merciless at fifteen point fifteen point five million in twenty twenty one, or Clown if he'd taken that eighteen point four. It's a no brainer, right? So, yeah. I mean, that, and 99% of people would tell me that. But then I think, for me, this franchise should have handed the keys to Watson by now. They haven't done that. Now, it is, you're right, Mike, it comes down, it's jersey sales, marketing, uh, all that kind of stuff. But that's wrong, right? That shouldn't be the case. Where you, you want to win football games. And look, when Watt was in there last year, was he was he elite? Yeah, he led the league in quarterback hits for I think another six or seven weeks after he'd gone out injured. Um, but I think for me, his lack of willingness to play inside because if you look at his rookie year, he played inside a lot on an on an even front um, as a sort of defensive tackle and a you know in a four man front. So that that's where he played. That's where he had the best matchup, and that was the best thing for the team. But because of the way Watt is, he only wanted to stay out on the on on their right tackle, find their weakest pass blocker, and go and rush against them. 
and he refused to do what was right for the team. Um, and because I believe he's got a big input in that, and people say, oh, he, he said if Clowney got paid more, he'd want to raise, and that's fine, right? Like, that's entitled to do that. He's going to serve his best interests. But who would be a better player for us now from if we take in three years' time because we've got zero guarantees he'll be healthy. Now, he might come back this year, kick the doors in and be the bit, you know, win another MVP. I wouldn't put it past him. That's that's how good he has been. Yeah. He's not really been there or he's missed time. Um, and he's missed, you know, some 40-odd games now over the last few years. He's not been healthy. Now, look, Clowney's had injuries as well, but apart from his torn meniscus, which is a huge injury to come back from and still play at the level he's done, shows he's got, you know... He, he can come back from injury as well. So they're both injury prone. So, that, you know, there's negatives there. But I, I would take Clowney every time. And I said it at the time, I thought extending Davian Clowney was a bigger issue for the Texans than any sort of off-season move they could have made because he, like Luke, you said, he's a disruptor. He doesn't fill stat columns so people don't like him, you know. And I think people, it, you know, it doesn't get double-digit sacks. Yeah, but how many did he create? How many did he effectively assist? There's no, yeah. there's, there's no, there's no disruption stat. There is no break in the pocket stat, which there probably should be. You know, we've got all these huge amount of uh, statistics for you know bollocks like fantasy football and all this kind of stuff. But actually, it doesn't really tell you much about the game because it's just based on points, catches, and all yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Whereas, He's a grafter, right? Yeah, he is. He is a he is just a, a full effort player. If you you know, and you know, people sort of claim his attitude and stuff. You watch the, I always think watch the play where he chased down. Uh, I think it was is it Tyler Boyd um, in in a late season game against uh, Cincinnati uh, when he when he slipped a, he slipped a tackle. And he, he did score a touchdown, but Clowney chased him 90 yards down the field. And he was, he, you know, he was, look, I think there's some issues with him. And I think how much he works at his game. Look, if it was a, if it was a, if it was a, a contest of who's better off the field in front of the cameras and who's like your work ethic puts the most into their craft to get the most out of the ability, okay, the answer's what. But as a longer term option for this team, as a productive defensive player, that gives you flexibility when the other guy doesn't give you flexibility and refuses out of his own arrogance to not give you flexibility. I would have gone with Clowney every time. Now I don't know. I think you know if you polled people, that would be in the minority. But I don't know what you think, Luke. You were on that's, what, but uh, I've just went off on one. That's, that's my view. <laughs> yeah, that's my view. I mean, what what seems to me that if it's not if it's not a play that it's going to look good on a YouTube clip. Then he's not interested in it. Yeah, we're padding. You know? We we have pandered to him to pad his highlights. A hundred percent. That is a big big thing, and and that's probably not a popular view, but it's it's uh, it, it's been a, that was Romeo Cornell's biggest failing was finding the three of those, and he should have said, look, at times, JJ, you're going to have to kick inside because that's the best look for the front. Instead, and but but what did we do? No, we let him stay on the, on the right tackle, and we made Whitney Merciless drop in coverage. And now actually we've got to the point where we're playing paying Whitney Merciless for a player he might have been. Okay, he looked like that maybe five six games in the last season, but he's not that now, you know. And I think and the money we've paid him is almost like a sort of thanks for your previous deal you've played on type of deal. Which when you're about to pay Watson and you've paid Tunsil, we go from having huge amount of space. And probably could have paid Clowney, you know, two more million dollars a year. But it's actually going to cost us a lot more than that in people that are past their prime. I don't know what you think, Luke. I know you said, I know you said what there. So why you, I'll give you give you a chance to round it off. Um, long term, and you can you can absolutely see the argument for Clowney, and I probably even agree with that. Um, you say Clowney does offer that 
that flexibility that we, you just don't get from what. So the, the reason I sort of call him this disruptor is kind of, you know, when you think defensive end, you know, you look, you look at sacks or when you look at a uh, linebacker, you kind of look at, you know, combined tackles. And they say he's not this stat paddo, you know, he, he, you, you kind of just have to watch his film to truly appreciate this guy's craft. He's not, you know, you know, like, like, so you say, sort of compare it to what he's sort of, you know, he has, you know, 20 sacks back to back seasons and that say by large in part because he sort of picks and chooses kind of you know, where, where he wants to play. So, but Clowney probably is the long term guy. Obviously he's got age on his side. If it, I would say for, say for the 20, 20 season, I think I'll still have a you know, give me what over Clowney. I think in terms of what, in terms of what the team needs. Um, Sort of moving onwards after that, perhaps you know, we might be looking at losing the, uh, even McKinney or Zach Cunningham. I can't see both of them staying on there. You know, they're both been demanding you know, a decent pay packet, which you know, rightly so. They're, you know, they're great players. So in terms of yeah, long term, Clowney probably is the preferred option over, over what I'd say that. So, but then um, I suppose that would just pose issues for the uh, the name of this podcast in the future, won't it? As well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it. It was it was a use a use of what for years of this to to sum up disappointment. But I think some of this becomes disappointment as well because like you you have a competitive advantage off the field, right? You've got no salary cap. You can hire as many coaches as you want. If you make the right decisions in your front office, you're going to be that will translate into the on field. And I think for me, this is a big what if turning point because, like. Okay, Clowney doesn't get sacks, but he does get TFLs, and there was a a four year period where he was in with up with Chandler Jones, uh, uh, Khalil Max, etc., Aaron Donalds, and TFLs. Now TFL, the net effect of that play, whether you tackle a quarterback in the backfield or a running back, the net effect's the same. So actually, his disruption, if you included TFLs and sacks, was equal to the the elite. Um, in the league and actually he is probably if not one of if not the best run defender in the league and the f- the fundamental issue why this defence has fallen apart in the last while is because they stopped being stout against the run and actually you, you know and if you stop if you stop teams running the ball on you you then force them to pass and then you can then you can adjust your coverage accordingly and then but the problem is without a guy like that on the field the, the run defence takes a step back so look I think it's 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 a big one but and look obviously there's relationship issues but you take the relationship issues of Hopkins out and we kind of touched upon that trade earlier right if Hopkins doesn't if, if you had to pick a player right to of the current of the last three years and we're sort of kind of jumping about a bit now but if you had to pick a player of the last three years who was of value who was going to have to be paid who you could could get decent trade value back for to help save salary cap if that was a legitimate issue who would you pick who would we get back so yeah i mean just just say so you can I would, you can determine the market i would say clowning right um because we've we've had this conversation before about hopkins absolute star absolute star but hopkins is a is a player that i think uh, watson got to to rely on, possibly had to rely on because he didn't have a lot of other options at some point. But he wanted the ball and he, you know, when he didn't get the ball and he felt he should have had the ball, he made that known. And I think he actually limited our options. We became a kind of a bit of a one-trick pony. So I think without Hopkins, that, that forces that forces Watson to 
widen his options, and I think he has got options there, especially if we keep everyone fit and healthy. Yeah. Um, whereas I think Clowney, I think um, I don't think we've got, I don't think we've had very much in the way of, of a replacement for Clowney. He's a, he's a force that we've missed, and nobody's really stepped into that position effectively. So I think, oh, certainly of those two, I think Clowney's the one that I think we would want to get back. Now I know that the fans love Hopkins. I love Hopkins, right? But um, I think Clowney's the one that would make a bigger difference to us, our ability to win games. Yeah, I mean, and and look for you, right? If if it's, I'll sort of rephrase that, but look, if you had an option, if you go back three years before Clowney leaves, if you had to pick one of the key players who was going to need an extension, it was going to cost you more money than you could possibly afford. Who would you have traded out? Would you have still gone with Hopkins? Just say the the value we pushed that to side wasn't there. Would you have still taken that, or would you have looked elsewhere on the roster to trade out people? If that if that was a decided option, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> I think this is where we sort of got it right. I think Hopkins it was is the right answer in this kind of if we have to if you know if a big name did have to leave because uh, actually sort of um, touched on there with Mike that it is kind of Hopkins sort of become the sort of security blanket of Watson and paper you know perhaps he does need to get out of the comfort zone a bit more and you know there are other options out there we do have. In terms of the receiver positions, yeah. um, if, if Will Fuller can stay healthy, they're brilliant, and obviously behind him, I think there's, there's a lot to come from um, Brandon Cooks. He has sort of concussion issues aside, I think he's still a very effective player. Um, but, you know, got Kenny Stills as well. He was he had some moments of greatness last year. Uh, see what Randall Cobb can do, and then obviously David Johnson arrives. You know, he can as long as alongside a Duke Johnson, these guys can both contribute in the passing game as well. So, obviously, for sure, Hopkins is a huge, huge loss. Um, you know, sort of the relationship he did build up with the quarterback was brilliant, but it's kind of, well, we can survive without him. And I think a lot of people seem to be sort of a lot of disrespect, I think, as far as saying that, saying, oh, well, you know, Hopkins has left the Texans anymore, so they're not going to be competitive. Uh, for the 2020 season, so I think that's shown a lot of you know could be where a lot of people could be sleeping on on the team for next year. So yeah, and I think that's that's it, isn't it? And it comes back to that sort of like you know uh, you take good player out, this team equals bad, you know. And I think that that's basically what people have taken. And now I think 100% agree, Luke, in terms of like the taking a wide receiver out a team is easy, is far more easily replaced than a premium position like defensive end slash hybrid linebacker, play all over the line guy, right? 100%. Um, so I would have kept Clowney. If I had, so, but I think so that when you take it from that aspect, I think Hopkins probably is the right answer because, you know, you can replace, you know, a wide receiver in a system, you know, and it's probably another one for another pod, but I think in terms of this season is, is like the disrespect the team's been shown off season, you know, and rightly so from the outside looking in, but I think, you know, you've, you've got a good chance, like you said, to have a more diverse passing attack by not, you know, channeling a third of your targets through one guy. But from a pure playing point of view, if I could turn back the clock and go back, I would have traded what? And if you think about it logically, he's not been healthy. Therefore, that the other team, if they're willing to take the risk on that health 
and it doesn't pan out like it hasn't probably done. If we'd have traded him two years ago or three or this year or last year, you would have got a good haul for him. There would have been, you know, significant top end picks. It symbolically hands the the, the franchise, you know, to the to the rightful man or the rightful face of it now. I would say in in Deshaun Watson because it's his team. Yeah. Um, and you get significant picks back. You get high, you know, high draft picks that then you can furnish the bottom of your roster, and you get guys to play above their contract. Now that's the problem. You need to have a successful team under the salary cap. You have to have a number of players that outplay their rookie contract yeah. to have a to have a, to have a you know good competitive roster. So if that happens, albeit you're betting you hit on the picks, and that's kind of the opposite outlook that that uh, the O'Brien's taken he's taken sure things over picks and I do totally understand and respect that 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 take but I think if you'd have got you know not maybe you would have got maybe 75% of the haul or 60% of the haul that you know the Bears got for Khalil Mack if that's on the table yeah sign me up if you keep clowning and then we could have invested picks in in the defense and actually replaced you know the defensive front with with uh, with fresh talent that that can that can rush the passer and importantly you could have taken a corner high which we've we're yet to see if that'll if that'll work out this season but interesting kind of went off script there but um, if it goes again right so we'll, we'll go back if we go back to the the season uh, I'm conscious of time guys but in terms of that if we go back and um, Frank Reich goes for it on fourth down in overtime um, if it's zero four at that point is O'Brien fired. Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. No, I don't. I don't think he's fired. Um, I don't know what it is uh, about O'Brien um, and his relationship with the owners, but I think they they see something in O'Brien that sometimes the rest of us don't. Um, he doesn't explain himself very well to the rest of us. He doesn't explain himself to the fans. He doesn't feel like he has to explain himself. Um, certainly, the last sort of twelve months has shown that. Um, but I think. Whatever it, whatever it is, whatever, whatever hold he's got, whatever whatever he does when he talks to the owners, the franchise owners, that, that they believe in what his plan is. They believe in him, I think, a lot more than the rest of us do. Um, I think sometimes he doesn't get the credit he deserves. So I, I think I don't think he was ever in any kind of uh, danger. No. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I think what for sure we have in Bill O'Brien is a brilliant coach I think he knows how to get the best out of a lot of his players and they just have to look at what he did sort of pre uh, Watson era so the guys who had a quarterback and yet we still cook up winning seasons so I think yeah I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have been fired he's, I think he's still the right man for the job obviously you can sort of um, a lot of people question his general management abilities but in terms of pure, from a pure coaching standpoint you know, I think he's done some great things for the franchise so and you know, the fact that, that Frank Wright doesn't go this and fourth down and it completely changes that season so perhaps you sort of need a bit of a rub of the green sometimes or you know perhaps a, a decision to go the right way so you know, you're saying, so we touched on before 2018 was a real changing point and I think this is you know, the, this uh, was week four wasn't it that was the real catalyst for change I think when Frank Wright doesn't go for it yeah I mean it changed that season and the team going to win nine in a row and yeah okay so you'd say if you had a sacked him at that point 
you know, probably would have been the wrong decision. I think it would then would you have had Brian Gaiden left and who does he go for? Uh um, you know, to fill that void. You get somebody perhaps Cornell takes it in the interim for the rest of the year and then you've got you know, some maybe he worked with Jack Johnson uh, or Zach Johnson rather as the QB coach in in 2013. Gain did when he was at Miami. Would you know? Would uh, would 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 have, would have been somebody else on on the uh, on the coach on the coaching uh, carousel come in? I don't know if it was Brian Gaines' decision, but they were both extended at the time, so it seemed unlikely. Even if it was a bad season, I think they probably would have been given another year. Um, but yeah, I think as that season goes on as well, I think you know you touched on it earlier, Luke, in terms of the that season and how that played out. The team went nine in a row, kind of lose momentum, stop running the ball. Um, you know, if you think Vincent Smith catches a bomb, go ahead late on. Watson has an unbelievable game. The line's not protecting him, but he continues to spin out of out of, of, of would be sacks and finds the ball. Great, great highlight play. Aitken's that game. Um, in, in the penultimate game of that season, Demarius Thomas actually I think was a was a sort of un, under the radar story about how much that then hurt the team. Will Fuller already out that season. You know we've got a strong defense. I think the safety play was good that year um, with Kareem Jackson and Tyron Matthew. And that made a big difference to the coverage. Okay, they did have Sharice Wright out there, so that was a big liability, and you saw that in the playoffs. But I think when you when they missed out on that number two seed. Just say they they actually found some form at the end of the season. You don't get those injuries, you know, to, to Demarius Thomas who's come in and, and, and filled a role. And the team actually looked quite good, you know, in that nine in that nine game winning winning stretch. They then play the, they then find themselves in the wild card against the Colts, missing out on the second seed again. But actually, if they'd have just won that Philly game, in all likelihood, the playoff bracket looks very different. So actually, the, the wild card weekend, New England would have hosted Indianapolis, and then the Chargers would would have still gone would have still gone to Baltimore. Now that means with with the most likelihood that um, if we were to finish in the second seed, that um, that that we would host the the winner of the Baltimore Chargers, and actually then New England would would travel to KC if they beat Indy or vice versa. So. If it all panned out, that's again going back to playoff brackets, but that's when I kind of probably fancy the chances to at least win one game. Yeah, I think it's worth sort of touched on earlier on in, in the pod how that this this 2018 season was the, this the biggest and Myers in terms of what ifs. Uh, like it would have made such a difference if we would have had that bye, you know, we had that you know, that week's rest to kind of you know kind of hit reset in a way, kind of try and go back to. Our ways have we got the nine game win streak sort of you know you should sort of as you say sort of you know, try and run the ball a bit more effectively so and you know, sort of who knows if you know likely charges probably in that year we would have faced in the uh, divisional round definitely would have fancied our, our chances against them and then you know, if we did get past that and kind of who knows really would have probably been chiefs or pats in the uh, championship games so it's you know, it's a huge what if? And I think we definitely would have, you know, had a great chance and could have possibly prevented the, the worst Super Bowl in my living memory, anyway, when uh, <laughs> the Pats and the Pats were the Rams. But it, it for me, it's such a huge, huge what if. Like, and it's kind of on a sort of you know, before we recorded this episode, this is, you know, really, really went down a hole in the 2018 season. Just thinking, ah, oh, just what if, you know. <laughs> Yeah, because you think like we've gone ahead. 
Clowney then gets flagged for a 15-yard penalty on a you know a reasonable debatable um, roughing the roughing the passer um, call. Then they march up the field. Actually, Nick Foles goes off the field and Sudfeld comes on uh, to to run a couple of plays. They still can't find a stop. So I mean, the defense was much better that year than it was in in, in last year. So it felt like you had a chance, but I think just the, the combination of the injuries and the team at, the, at that point into the, the season, plus the Colts were a formed team at that point. Uh, I think just it just it just it turned out very differently. But again, it's one of those ones you look back on, you think, yeah, you know, you know, statistically you have to be an automatic seed um, to win a Super Bowl. Now that's going to change now because there's now only one seed in the AFC and the NFC. So actually, how that that will then change, I don't know. Um, is it always the one seed or when it's you'd, you'd, you'd think it'd be likely but it felt like two seasons in a row that or, or, or certainly that season and last season that we should have had a we should have wrapped up a, an automatic seed to save us a game because that week rest at that point of the season with the, the heart that your players have, been, have, have had impacted on them was massive so yeah it felt like another loss because I think you know the Chargers at the time they were an okay team but they went to New England um, you know in, in the the uh, in the second round and they just didn't look like they didn't have much and, and uh, New England just ran all over them so okay that wasn't our strength so it might have been a bad matchup but again it could have been very different and I think that's obviously what's great about the league is things can change um, just over a year ago now um, the 7th of June 2019 at the time the Howard pick was criticised O'Brien felt like he didn't get what he needed from the front off. They missed out on Roger Saffold, who they wanted at left tackle. There's various reports of different players that O'Brien was keen on to bring in. They didn't bring in. The Trent Williams trade sticks out massively, I think, how they couldn't have got that done. It's something, okay, O'Brien and Gain had that opportunity and you see what he's eventually traded for. But I think that speaks more to the dysfunctional uh, franchise that is that is in Washington um, but then you think no contract for Clowney, Tyron Matthew walks out despite offering him different offers at the time, kind of felt like that was okay, I don't think they used them in the right way but then he didn't, he, he was reported not to have even called Kareem Jackson after being with the team for nine years he made Aaron Coven the highest paid nickel corner um, then was subsequently released after week one, the season after and supposedly the biggest report is he wouldn't he wouldn't um, answer his phone to ownership and he was he was just he would he would huddle up in his office and watch tape and he was a great personnel guy but he wasn't a GM and I think that's when you started to see this change and I think obviously we've got to remember that Brian Gudekunz was was the the franchise's first choice he went to dinner with O'Brien took a late night call from Green Bay to go back and and uh, and, and take over their front office so Gain was never the man but then I think what you saw was then Jack Easterby his involvement come to the surface and I think that that's a, a big thing and our second last point here Joe Douglas is on the market gets locked up by the Jets when Gain gets fired the Texans now on the 12th of July 2019 are done with tampering charges from New England trying to, trying to sign Nick Casario so at that point they went they, they still wanted to go with a traditional GM role if, if they bring in Casario, how much does that change things, do you think? I don't think, personally, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I think it's so so far... Oh, it's not how the new he's extended yeah, his contract. I don't think it was ever going to happen. I, I really don't. Um, I don't think it's ever really going to happen, personally. Um, 
Well, I think he wanted to come, though. That was the thing. He was he wanted to come to, to he wanted the chance to be a GM and, and be his own yeah. man with O'Brien. Well, that's a be his own man with O'Brien. Soon sounds ironic, but I think at the time that was necessarily the that was that was what they thought was the the opportunity, or he Nick Casario thought was the opportunity. Good friends with Jack Easterby, good friends with O'Brien for his time there. So it didn't pan out. But I, 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 do you think he would operate differently if fill the team's needs and all those things that we outlined that Brian gained? Didn't I they? don't. I don't think it would have made a lot of difference. I think um, I think Bill O'Brien would still be pretty much calling the shots. I think if he'd have if he'd have come, he would have found out that possibly too late. If he did, you know that that he was really still going to be. Uh, a figurehead uh, in that position, and I think uh, Bill would have been calling the shots. I mean, you, they give you give Brian Gaynor a hard time, but I don't think in the time that he was there, Brian Gaynor he, he didn't make any decisions on his own. No, no, no man in an organisation like that is an island that you know you don't spend, you don't you don't make big spending decisions without without someone else count signing or looking and and, and ha- having a say. Um, so I, I do think um, I don't think Nick Casario would have had any any anything different. I think he would have come in and he would have uh, he would have just been a counter signature on contracts. I don't think he would have done a lot different, honestly. I think where he is, you know, he's, maybe he's got a, an eye on Bill Belichick's job because <laughs> he's not an, he's not immortal as much as people think he probably is. Um, I think he's better off where he is. I don't think he would have made a lot of difference to the Texans if he'd come in at all. That's my that's my view. Look, I don't know what you think, right? But I think what he might have made a difference for is there might have been a bit more, less of that kind of view from the outside that things or decisions were made that were really rash. Yeah. So, mm. you know, in, instead of instead of a third round pick for Duke Johnson, who's only a role player, it might have been a fourth or a fifth. Instead of going two firsts and a second for um, for Laramie Tunsil, when actually at the start they they, they wanted a pick plus. You know, Bernardrick McKinney, they might have changed that, um, and it might have it might have looked very differently. Now, again, it's it's easy for us to sit and revise, you know, history on on what ifs, right? But I, I just think he might have just been that checkpoint or a point of counterbalance for O'Brien to maybe not go down some of the routes so strongly in the way he has done. Um, in in some cases, um, you know, it might it might mean that DeAndre's still here. I don't know. It might have. Um, because you know, if you think you know, you might think actually, Bill. I know, I know you personally don't get on with him, but he's still a good player for us. Um, or you know, or the, or or he might have stepped in and said, "I don't, th- I don't think this Arizona deal is the right thing. Let's wait till a team that's in the running gets a big, a big injury at wide receiver, or and want and wants to part with a first. Maybe no, I think. I think all the transactions that we have seen in the past kind of 12 months, I think they still would have taken place, you know, perhaps you say with a Duke Johnson deal would have been a, a different round pick. But I think if Casera did uh, come to Houston, he sort of, I think he obviously he must have known what he was signing up for, that he would have been part, you know, he wouldn't have been the, the necessary a traditional general manager where he's, you know, the one who ultimately signs off and everything. It would have been sort of a, three-pronged kind of leadership between O'Brien and, and Easterby. So it's, I think he would have, you know, Casario would have come, come on board and very much sort of towed the party line of what O'Brien wanted, really, which yeah. obviously was to to deal Hopkins and, uh, you know, and all the other transactions that have taken place. Um, 
Yes, that's kind of, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's made a, a huge difference, perhaps, in sort of the media point of view. Everyone thinks that O'Brien is this, you know, overseeing, you know, lord that, <laughs> and, you know, all that he says goes kind of thing. But if, if Casario was there, maybe, you know, people wouldn't have been as much on O'Brien's back as they have been. So, yeah, I would agree with that. But from, yeah, pretty from, that, from a team standpoint, it would, would not have made too much of a difference. It's more just how sort of the image that's portrayed by the media, that O'Brien is this you know, crazed man at times, which obviously we, we don't agree with, but, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah, in terms of yeah, team difference, I think you know, Hopkins still would have been in Arizona, and Duke Johnson still would have been traded for, so yeah, not I don't see huge differences in terms of uh, personnel. I think Bill doesn't feel the need to explain himself. Um, but I think um, if he'd been signed as GM, I think that 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 relationship with uh, with the media and with the fans might be a bit different. I think that's I think you're right there, Luke. I think that's that's the that's probably the main difference that we would have seen. Um, that's that's like I say, that's my view. Uh, Bill doesn't doesn't explain himself to anybody outside the locker room. It seems, um, yeah, outside the franchise. That's and that's mm. really, you know. That, that, if that was, if we, if we had a view of, of his big scheme, then maybe we'd think that he was the sort of evil genius that we hope that he is. Um, but obviously, you know, his plans are his plans and it's probably better for him and better for the team for him to keep them to himself. Yeah, I think you saw this week when he came out on the, before the Michael Thomas call and, and talked about, you know, the, the social injustice and all that kind of stuff that's going on and, and you saw like a quite an authentic kind of side yeah, of him, yeah. and that's obviously the side that his players see, and that's that, and they want to f- fight for that guy because he's never lost. You know, one thing about this team, he's never, he's, O'Brien's never lost the dressing room at any point. The locker room has always been with him, and have always found ways to get back in the games. Um, and you know, you think if you and if you think back to the final Kubiak era, you could argue he did lose it. He did lose the dressing room at that point. Because you know it's very, very well famous. Not to go back too far, but Andrew Johnson after the, after the defeat in New England, he he asked for a trade because he said there's guys taking up space, and that on this roster, and he lost faith, and you know, and you can see, and you saw that in his play, I think the year after, and a bit the year after that as well, to be fair. Um, but I think for me, I would much rather have Nick as a true football guy in the front office than I would Jack Easterby. I think that's more of a healthier balanced discussion when talking about making major moves than it is Easterby because like you know and again a what if if uh, reportedly and allegedly um, you know if Robert Kraft doesn't go into the, the orchids of pleasure or whatever it is in in, uh, in Florida um, <laughs> then that was that was a big part of the driving reason of why Easterby wanted out of there um, because he didn't want to work in that environment again allegedly and reportedly so you know, and you know, I think people like Tom Brady have talked very highly of Jack Easterby, but I, I, I struggle with it from my point of view of a guy who is effectively a life coach slash you know kind of pastor religious based yeah. coaching comes in and is now on a senior management team of a of a of a multi billion dollar organization when its core product is football and people that understand football is good now. Look, you know, and a lot of it's all based on character and 
and all that kind of stuff and the type of guys they want. And that's not nothing new for the Texans. I think they've just got more focused on the certain types of players they want in the building. So we'll see in this season if that pays off. But I think for me, that was a big, big turning point as well because I think he might have just changed some things in the front office and maybe been a bit more savvy in terms of how they went about things and the I, I, yeah I think the overall complexion the picture might not have looked as good but I think there would have been some small nuances there that might have might have really helped the uh might have really helped the complexion of some of the moves they made I and mean, we might not be that bad in terms of salary cap we might not be what we are now which we're kind of up against it um you know if it is to drop 30 million next year reportedly with all the issues going on, if there's fans not inside games and game day revenue takes a hit, that's a big concern for us now that we probably didn't, you know, nobody could have foreseen. But again, we we went from having an excess to to being reasonably tight, um, and obviously the draft picks as well, which we won't know for another five years probably how you know truly um, influential those moves are. Um, final one, guys, and we've touched on the Hopkins trade, but again, just just to go back. Oh, and I think it was a big one this offseason. Carlos Hyde turns a two-year, ten million offer, five million a year from the Texans down, signs for a maximum of four, one year with Seattle. So he turns that down. Obviously, again, his agent advised him thousand-yard season, Carlos. You can you, your value is more than that. It wasn't. Um, it turned out to be. If he takes that contract, there isn't a need for then the David Johnson facet of the trade of Hopkins what do you think the Hopkins trade assuming he does go what do you think the Hopkins trade then looks like at that point so uh, Hyde I mean he's he'd moved around a lot so what Chiefs Jags Browns uh, 49ers um, and, and um, you know he's not an old guy by any, any stretch of the imagination but he's at that stage in his career where he's got to maximise his earnings right so I, I don't I don't blame him for for holding out. Um, if he'd stayed, would it have made a difference? I, uh, again, he's at that stage in his career. I think um, keeping him w- w- was he the right person to keep? I, I don't I don't think so. I don't see it as a big loss. I don't think keeping him would have made a lot of difference. I don't think we'd have seen a lot out of him. Um, but with the view of we've got. If, and and look, yeah. I agree that was an overvaluation. I think for a running back, we, we see that position yeah. is now expendable. You draft somebody, pay him for four years, and then you move and then you move on and you move to the next guy. You'll even see that with Derek Henry. You've got Dalvin Cook coming up. You know people aren't willing to pay running backs with the toll yeah. that their body takes and the and the speed of the yeah. game today. That five million a year was an overvaluation. Now again, it's reported a lot of the time when it's reported the actual, the actual um, the value is is often less. Um, but what would you have rather had? More draft picks and Carlos Hyde at four or five million a year, or would you have less draft picks with David Johnson and nine million a year, and then a similar cap pit the year after? Ah, David Johnson, I think. I think uh, it's a tough. It's a really tough one to call. It's a really tough one to call for me. Um, but yeah, I think I think what we've got. I think the way we went, I think was probably the right way. Personally. But yeah, David Johnson, of course, offers a lot more yeah. than, uh, than Carlos Hyde. So you, you didn't sort of see much from Hyde in, in the passing game. So I think, yeah, I've got high hopes for Johnson. He's, you know, he's kind of a couple of down years, but it's very, very much down to the, the scheme he was playing in. Yeah, Hyde, as I say, you kind of you sort of compare what Hyde managed in 2019 with Lamar Miller. So I've sort of touched on Hyde gets a thousand yard season, but it's, you know, it's, it was barely a thousand, a thousand and seventy. But it's the fact that 
it just sounds so much better. Like, oh, yeah, it was a thousand, thousand gun season. But being in look at Lamar Miller, who got 973 rushing yards, and this is in uh, 2018, so he was just a fraction off. Um, you've only got one less touchdown to Hyde. So it was Miller got five compared to Hyde six. And in actual fact, uh, Miller averaged more yards per carry com- compared to Hyde. That's probably mainly down to um, you know, offensive line play and so on. But it's kind of like there wasn't a huge difference between Lamar Miller and Hyde. Obviously, Miller tears his ACL in 2019 preseason. But say with David Johnson, he, off- he offers a lot more. And I think obviously, which obviously we're paying him a bit, a bit more. He's kind of one of the more high paid running backs in the league. But it's the fact that he can sort of line up in the slot as well, that we can potentially, we've got a lot to to come from Johnson, as we sort of touched on that. In my eyes, I think we're definitely, the running game is definitely in a better position for 2020 than it would have been if, um, if Hyde did uh, sign his offer. Yeah, I mean, if if David Johnson comes in, it is even 65-78% of the 2016 version. It's a, I don't I don't think he can I don't necessarily know if he's a scheme fit. I think there's for us. Um but you know, well time will tell that we've, we've you know varied between running power and running zone. So whether whether you know that that will change, I don't know. Um and but I think one thing's positive that you know Tim Kelly's been actively asking players or reportedly actively asking players to um, what what suits them and trying to incorporate it in the office because he knows that trying to input stuff that's new to them is not necessarily going to work this off season. So like yeah, I mean I I, I think it's a big. T- I think we probably could have got a bit. You know I mean it's all again it's 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 easy to say, but I think yeah the, the value they gave him was probably or to hide was probably over. He was a good fit in terms of just that. You know that two down probably running between the tackles, and he had some great games last season, um, and some big yardage. And we hadn't really had a, a, a back like that who could who could you know set the tone in the run game. But I think for me, if if we can change the offense with with David Johnson, because I think that was the criticism of the offense establishing the run on first down consistently, predictably running inside zone um, on first down, then I think. If he can come in and be that that piece that makes a difference, not only in the passing game, because you're right, Luke, he's, as a slot receiver, he's probably only you know him and Austin Eckler as, as running backs that come in. Um, I've got a real presence in the passing game, so if they can do that, um, that be a, you know that would be a huge added wrinkle to this offense um, with Randall Cobb in there as well, because they tried it with Tyler Irvin when when he came in and then he got an injury and he's never and never quite worked out and he's played elsewhere since, but only really in a special teams capacity. So that's something O'Brien's wanted to do for a time, as he said. He, the cost, um, you know, is is never doesn't outweigh the, the the value to him to solve the problem. But yeah, I think that's a big t- turning point as well because. If you've got Hyde on the team, that that trade looks very differently. I still don't think people are happy, but um, but you know time will tell. This season, um, I think I think is a big one. Um, so yeah, I think we've chopped up three years worth of Texans history there and put a bit of a oh, a different slant on it. Um, it's certainly thought provoking. I really enjoyed putting these notes together for that, and uh, I really enjoy both your time guys coming on and uh, talking a bit of uh, what ifs. Um, in recent in the not too recent recent <laughs> past. It's been good night. I'm hoping the games are still going to be on. Um I'm going to get to go to a game this year, I hope. But 
it's kind of uncertain at the minute, right? Just don't know. But um, that was my plan. A lot of people that was my plan this season. I was determined to get a home game, at least one home game in, and then this all happens. It's probably my fault for wanting to do that, but. Yeah. Well, yeah. As as we sit today, it's fifty percent capacity yeah. in Texas. Albeit, I think Harris County's hospitalizations are are now back on the increase yeah. since Memorial Day. So I think it's got some more twists in the tail than than probably, you know, from a, a, a British kind of European standpoint. I think they kind of gone on a very strict kind of curve, but it's it's too multifaceted. I think so. Yeah. As I think like that, there's going to be a lot of twists in the tail of that story and how that season pans out. Sitting here early June, don't know where it's going to be, but um, hopefully there's some games to go to and uh, definitely be games to watch in some variety. But um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting season on and off the field as it as it has been throughout this off season. So yeah. guys, um, thanks very much for your time. Much yeah. appreciated. And uh, let's let's get back on soon and uh, we'll talk a bit more. Talk a bit more text. Hopefully we've got some actual football to talk about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's very much a um, about shrinking very the... much a what if itself, isn't it? Will there be football to talk about? So. Well, that's it. Talking about <laughs> shrinking the preseason down to two games. I think that's very likely. So yeah, um, yeah. Who knows at this stage? So hopefully it's going to have to become clear in the next you know five or six weeks. Or uh, yeah, nobody will be going to many games. I don't think. But uh, but guys, thank you, and uh, and um, and we'll definitely get you back on soon. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.